Welcome back to another episode of Guideposts in Motion, a podcast highlighting risk, compliance, and security professionals with insights meant to keep you, your business, and your operations moving forward. My name is Julie Myers-Wood, and I'm the CEO of Guidepost Solutions. We're honored today, again, joining our podcast to have Dan Burstein, a very seasoned, experienced uh, professional in the industry. In our last podcast, Dan talked about the increasing openness of bank regulators, uh, allowing traditional financial institutions to offer crypto services and stablecoin payment services. He also talked a little bit about the growth and excitement that they're seeing at Paxos. Dan is the general counsel and chief compliance officer at Paxos Trust Company. Uh, Paxos is a New York-based financial technology company specializing in blockchain. The company's product offerings include a cryptocurrency brokerage service, asset tokenization services, and a Bitcoin exchange. So a very well-known player in the industry. Dan, thanks for joining me again today. Don't forget that I'm a former Guidepost employee as well. I'm proud of it. So uh, thanks for having me back. Thank you. Thank you. I I, uh, I will never forget that, although, of course, we were very, very sad to see you see you leave. But love that you're having so much success now and have loved partnering with Paxos on a number of projects. Dan, in our last podcast, we talked a little bit about the new openness that we're seeing from um, regulators. In today's discussion, I want to talk about the risks that are still out there. Where do we think regulators are going to go and what they're going to focus on as banks move into this space, and also kind of more generally, what regulators are going to be focused on in terms of compliance issues that individuals should be aware of. Yeah, sure. You know, it's interesting because uh, the digital asset space isn't entirely different from the rest of the financial services industry. Um, And so uh, it's important to continue to get the fundamentals right, uh, even when dealing with digital assets. So what that means for a regulated entity and a regulated financial institution like Paxos and for uh, other others in this space as well is, um, you know, sort of your traditional financial crime controls. Uh, so that that includes customer onboarding, uh, customer due diligence, your your sort of uh, classic KYC process. It includes uh, enhanced due diligence for higher risk customers and those that are transacting above certain thresholds. It includes sanction screening both at onboarding and on an ongoing basis. Um, and your more traditional uh, rules-based, scenario-based transaction monitoring um, applies equally to digital assets as it does to fiat. Um, then, then you sort of expand the, uh, the the sort of circle a little bit, and you as you get into the more uh, more digital asset specific activities, you're thinking about um, the blockchain. Well, what what is the blockchain, and what does it mean for um, financial crimes compliance? What does it mean for regulation? Um, well, a lot of people think of cryptocurrency as being anonymous. Um, it's actually not anonymous. It's it's pseudonymous, which means that um, crypto uh, transactions that are on public blockchains can be tracked from one blockchain address to another, to another, to another. So at Paxos, if, uh, if a, cu- a customer of mine sends out crypto to an external wallet address, um, we can track that crypto from uh, from our address to the external address and then see where it gets transferred from there and for then from there again. Um, eventually, if let's say the crypto uh, ends up in a dark net market or, or some other high risk address, 
uh, we will know it because we use what's called blockchain monitoring. Um, and then our compliance team uh, in that situation can go and do the uh, can look at the uh, the interaction between um, that high risk address and uh, and our customer. And you know, so if 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 the crypto went to that high risk address within an hour of leaving our platform, then we're probably going to be uh, likely to uh, determine from an internal perspective that. Um, that customer has been uh, that customer is involved in the high risk activity, whereas if it goes through a high risk address a year later and after 150 different hops and different addresses that it's been through, uh, it's more likely to be um, uh, uh, separate from our, our own customers' activity. But th th there's there's a lot of different sort of investigation types and. Uh, intelligence that you can gather through uh, digital assets um, uh, regulation in the ecosystem that uh, has come to be standard in the industry, has come to be uh, part of the regulatory expectations and um, something that uh, participants in the space really need to know about. Do these regulatory expectations involve the use of specialized tools for blockchain monitoring? They, they do, and there are a lot of uh, tools out there, and the, the market is growing. Uh, we use a tool principally called Chainalysis, um, which is one of the, uh, the market leaders. And what they really do is they uh, take sort of uh, public source intelligence as well as whatever their sort of their, their special sauce is to um, really map blockchain addresses to, um, uh, uh, to particular actors in the space. And so when I say um, blockchain movements are pseudonymous, I mean that um, th these addresses are a series of letters and numbers and aren't necessarily tied to an individual person or somebody who has been uh, KYC'd by any sort of uh, reliable regulated institution. What, what that enables you to do is um, a company like Chainalysis and its competitors can identify um, wh what are the high risk addresses uh, what are the high risk, you know, let's say, darknet markets that are associated with a given address? Um, and they can flag that for us and allow us to track that. They can also uh, um, identify what are the uh, more reliable addresses. What are, you know, wh wh which blockchain addresses are associated with Paxos, which ones are associated with Coinbase and other legitimate market actors. So Chainalysis, I think, is a is a great uh, a great company. We're actually a, a certified investigative partner for Chainalysis, but of course they're not the only great company right in, in the space. And I do think there's Elliptic. There are others that are also good good players. From my perspective, what's important um, is if you're starting to engage um, in this space, you need to think about as you scale very quickly of using kind of an established player for blockchain monitoring. Um, otherwise, you're not going to be able to get the kind of precision that the regulators expect. Definitely. And that's something that goes back to what we were talking about a little bit last time, Julie, which is um, if you are uh, if you're engaged in um, crypto services in-house, then um, this needs to be an important part of your compliance program. Um, if you're outsourcing uh, some of your crypto services, uh, including off-platform transfers, then you're going to want to make sure that your uh, service provider is um, it, you know, has strong blockchain monitoring and is able to and willing to um, work with your own compliance department to uh, uh, to track this kind of activity. 
Absolutely. And I know one one regulatory issue that has been on the mind of almost everyone in this industry, right, is the travel rule. Um, and I wonder if you could kind of explain that and how you think the industry is kind of working together to effectively address what the regulators are looking for. Sure. Um, so the travel rule uh, for for those of your your listeners who don't necessarily uh, spend all their time in this space is uh, is is a very actually a very old rule that says that um, if there is a transfer of assets from one financial institution to another, then the uh, then the identifying information of the customer needs to travel with the transfer or with with the asset. Um, that was recently applied a couple of years ago um, by the Financial As- Action Task Force, a global task force, uh, as well as by FinCEN here in the U.S., um, t- applied to digital assets. And what that means for digital assets is a, a little bit challenging to understand because um, it means that w- any entity that's called a virtual asset service provider um, which means an exchange like Paxos or uh, or any sort of platform. Um, when transferring assets on behalf of a customer to another virtual asset service provider or VASP, uh, must transmit as well the uh, identifying information of their customer who's uh, who's sending the sending the crypto. The problem is that um, blockchain rails and crypto rails aren't designed for sending personally identifiable information. There are also uh, security concerns associated with sending this information, and there aren't really necessarily existing rails for this to for this information to travel on. And so, you know, if there's a if, if I transfer Bitcoin to uh, from my Paxos account to your Coinbase account, Julie, um, that is a VASP to VASP transaction. Um, but how are we going to transmit this in a secure way? How do I know that the recipient is uh, is, is another VASP Coinbase? And how do I uh, make sure that this is a, an appropriately secure transaction? And so, uh, and and part of the challenge here is to, to sort of complicate this further is uh, because there is personally identifiable information here. Um, if you're if if uh, a VASP like Paxos is transferring um, crypto to another VASP, it must include this information. If it's um, if Paxos is transferring this uh, crypto to um, an, an address that's not a VASP what's called an unhosted wallet, then we are prohibited from sending this information. So um, there's very little margin for error. Um, The way the industry has really come together has been remarkable here. Paxos is uh, one of the founding members of the US Travel Rule Working Group, um, which is working to solve these issues and to basically build a uh, blockchain-based information transmission system we are in the blockchain industry after all, so it has to be blockchain-based, of course. <laughs> and this is a way of um, enabling VASPs to identify recipient addresses that belong to other VASPs and to transfer this information um, very uh, very securely. So uh, th- that's starting in the U.S. and uh, hopefully will be expanding globally soon. But it's uh, it's definitely been an interesting and challenging process. Oh, absolutely. And th- thank you for your leadership and Paxos leadership on this working group. I know from talking to many of the members how valuable it's been for the industry to kind of come together to try to address the problem. 
Um, and another problem that is very hard to address and carries so many regulatory risks is in the area of combating ransomware. And of course, the best the best practice is to avoid getting into that situation in the first place, right? To work aggressively on cybersecurity um, to keep your systems from being subject to it. But so many companies and entities are, and uh, the criminals, the cyber criminals, are so effective. And often what's been done over the past, you know, I would say seven, eight, nine years is that the bad guys will demand the money in Bitcoin, right? And so um, OFAC has recently said, hey, some of these individuals may be listed. You need to make sure that when you're making ransomware payments that you're not making them to SDNs or to other prohibited parties. And that is a big task uh, to ensure that you're preventing um, this kind of behavior. What sort of advice would you give on on this topic for entities that do get in trouble and need to make, uh, you know, they feel as a business decision need to make a, a ransom uh, payment? Uh, you know, how can they avoid getting an OFAX crosshairs? Yeah, be careful. <laughs> um, I, I don't have too much to offer here because uh, whenever I have a, a thorny issue that's anywhere in the OFAC space, um, I usually turn to Guidepost for this. Um, because, right, <laughs> um, you know, it's the sanction space is such a minefield. Um, there's, uh, there's strict liability for getting it wrong. And, uh, you know, there are situations where ransomware needs to be paid or it's the, the, the right the right move, but um, you want to do it with your eyes wide open to the potential sanctions issues. Even if you haven't identified a specific sanctions issue, you should be thinking ransomware sanctions and just uh, and ha have it in your head um, that those two things are tied and that you want to be very, um, very much consistent with OFAC regulations. Th thanks, Dan, and thanks again for that endorsement. We appreciate <laughs> we appreciate uh, that that support there. It is it's such a difficult situation, right, for those businesses that feel like they have no choice and need to get their operational systems up and going, but you know do want to be a good compliant player and do not want to violate uh, any of the sanctions uh, rules. What, Dan, from your perspective, what other sort of trends, regulatory trends are you seeing, you know, compliance issues that um, companies, um, and companies like yours, as well as financial institutions, traditional financial institutions should be worried about? Sure. Um, you know, and regulators have a, a, a certain playbook and they're always looking at emerging trends, but they're always looking at the old standbys as well. So um, you want to make sure whether you're in the digital asset space or anywhere else that your uh, information security is really shored up more so in the in the digital asset space as well, of course. But um, but but across the board, you don't want uh, you want to protect your PII. Of course, you want to protect your um, your 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 crypto wallets. Um, and you know, I touched a little bit last time on what does it mean to protect your crypto wallets, and how do you think about um, different kinds of custody? Um, you know, digital uh, asset custody is really divided into, I would say, three categories, and certainly there are many more flavors than that. But effectively, uh, you you have your cold wallets, which are uh, not and have never been uh, uh, connected to the internet. And they're therefore very secure, um, but uh, but a little bit less accessible and take longer to to get to them in order if you want to uh, if you wanted to make transfers. There are your hot wallets, which are uh, online and therefore 
um, at least in theory, uh, subject to um, uh, to cyber attacks and cyber cyber breaches. But those are much more online and much more available. And then you have uh, something that that we are working with a great deal that we call warm warm wallets. Uh, it's th this is through a technology called multi-party computing or MPC technology, where um, and you know this is this is an area that's way over my head in terms of the, uh, the the math and the cryptographics that are associated with this, but it essentially uh, has the online uh, availability of a hot wallet with the uh, cryptographic security of a cold wallet, and um, so you know th this is what I mean when I, when I talk about how the technology is constantly evolving, constantly improving. Of course, the um, the bad actors are also evolving and improving, and we all, we need to be constantly vigilant about that. But the regulators are going to be asking you tough questions about um, these types of custody issues, these types of information security issues. Other areas are things like uh, operational um, uh, operational risk that you want to be really uh, locked down on because um, you know you want to make sure to avoid things like insider threats. Um, and, uh, and you know, always have your sort of maker checker controls in, same as you would for uh, other financial institution um, services. Do you expect to see more regulatory enforcement actions in the next couple of years? That tends to be the the course of these things. Um, you know, the, the first you have the the industry building up, and then you have the uh, the, the regulation building up, and the industry builds up more. Um, and you're going to have uh, a lot more players on both sides of the uh, of the law and the regulation here, and so you know you're you're going you have more sort of trusted regulated uh, institutions like we're trying to build a Paxos. Uh, you're going to have more bad actors out there who are trying to sort of circumvent those regulations, um, and uh, and certainly as you get more regulatory uh, um, attention and. Uh, you get the uh, the regulators developing and devoting more resources to uh, the digital asset space. Uh, I do expect you'll see um, more regulatory enforcement actions. What do you think, Julie? I, I think definitely the regulators are becoming more comfortable with this technology and also the tools that are out there. So I think their expectations are going to grow. Uh, when we were meeting with some of the regulators, you know, five, six, seven years ago, their level of kind of knowledge about these things was much lower than we're seeing now. And so once the regulators have the education, they have the expectation <laughs> that that you are taking kind of good, good compliance steps. So I expect we're going to see a, a little more now. Um, on that point, I guess, Dan, uh, you know, often we see startups um, in this space that may not have the best compliance on day one and make some missteps, right? As they're starting to scale or something, and they realize, hey, we need some compliance help, they bring us or someone else like us in. Do you have any advice for these companies that maybe have made a few missteps, like what they can do to get on the right foot, back on the right foot with the regulators? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, definitely be proactive about it. Um, don't waste any time. Uh, you know, get yourself some uh, uh, some good counsel, some good advisors, um, and uh, and then sort of you know go in and um, get yourself in the right direction because uh, the, you know the, the future of the space is strong. The future of the regulated space is strong, and 
Um, there's no reason to sort of continue uh, acting in the shadows if there's an opportunity to, uh, you know, sort of get right with the regulators, put uh, issues behind you, um, get yourself uh, something like a remediation advisor, which is something I know you've done a, a lot in the past, Julie, and um, and uh, and you know try to fix the the historical problems. Um, expect that you're going to have to probably pay a fine, and uh, and then you'll sort of grow and emerge from there. I do think the future of the industry is strong, um, and it is in part to great companies like Paxos, leaders like you, and and many other others that are emerging. So I want to thank you so much, Dan, for joining us on these two episodes and giving us your insights, which are really critical, and congratulate Paxos on all its success. And thanks so much to our listening audience for tuning in. Um, as a reminder, if you need any assistance on your compliance program, please visit our website at guidepostsolutions.com. Thank you. Thank you.